Well, hey, church, glad to see you guys uh, today. Have you ever noticed, or just even thought about maybe, um, how many decisions we make like in a day? Right? Like we're just like, our whole day is filled up with making decision after decision after, after decision. I mean, think about it just this morning. Like this morning, you were nice and warm in your bed, all right? And it was comfortable. And then that alarm goes off and you had a decision to make. Am I gonna snooze it, all right? Which some of you did. Okay, or am I going to, am I going to get up, right? Or, you know, and, and think about just your first hour awake this morning. I mean, there's that decision. That's the initial decision. Am I going to get up or am I not? Am I going to grab my phone or am I not? All right, uh, should I go to church? Should I not go to church? It's pretty cold out there. All right, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? How, what, how am I going to do my hair? Should I be nice to my husband? Should I be a pain to my husband today? Like, those are legit, you know, decisions that we got to make. All right, which car are we going to take? Which way are we going to go? Which parking spot am I going to park in? Which door do I want to go to? Where am I going to sit? You, know, you walk in the doors. I mean, it's just decision after decision. All right, should I talk to this person? Should I not? Should I avoid them? Should I go in? Should I get coffee? Which kind of coffee? All right, should I stop at the bathroom before? Should I go in? Should I sit in this seat, that seat, this section, that section? I don't know. You just All these decisions that we make all the time. I mean, life is filled with decisions. Now, here's, here's the thing about decisions. The quality of our decisions, all right, the quality of our decisions determine the quality of our life. All right, we know this to be true. All right, the quality of our decisions end up ultimately determine the quality of our life, meaning we make our decisions and our decisions end up making us. And the problem with uh, decisions is that God tells us that we have an enemy who is constantly trying to influence our decisions. And our enemy wants nothing but the worst for our lives. I mean, think about it. The, the way that the enemy influences our decisions is this little tactic that we like to call temptation, all right? Temptation, right? We got temptation all around us. Temptation is a real deal. I mean, we're all faced with temptation. If you don't realize or if you don't think that you are faced with temptation, that just means you're not really in tuned enough with yourself or with God to understand it, okay? Um, we are all faced with temptation. Now, a lot of the decisions that we make um, they're not uh, necessarily right or wrong decisions, okay? Like, we understand that, right? Like, what color socks am I going to wear today, okay? It's not a right or wrong. Maybe, I don't know, maybe for you it is. I don't, but, but in general, it's not a right or wrong. But many of the decisions that we make, there is a right or a wrong answer, meaning God does have a, um, have, he has a way that he wants us uh, to go. Um, it's kind of like this. Let's take this tape, all right? Let's do this. Um, well, let's just draw a line here and uh, think about it this way. Um, let's say, let's say this side of the tape, can you guys see that kind of? Do we got it? No, you guys probably can't. We got this? Is it working? Huh? What? There it is. Okay. All right. This is like last minute. We just threw this together. So this might be really stupid. All right. But we're going to try. Okay. Um, so let's say this side of the tape is wrong. So we got a decision to make. All right, this side is wrong. This side is right. We got that? Wrong. Right. Wrong. Okay, right. We all got it. So what we all do, this is just how we are. This is how we are as a kid. You, if, you have, if you're a parent and you have kids, you know this because your kids do this all the time. And we do this all the time, if we're honest with ourselves. When we know the difference, when we know something is right or wrong, what we end up doing is we get up as close to the line as possible. Right? We all do this. We flirt with, with doing the wrong thing. It, it, we get close as we can to temptation without wanting to go over. So a lot of us, I mean, think about it. It's, it's, let's say we go to the bar. Okay, let's say we go to the bar a lot. That's our thing. Is it wrong to go to the bar? No. All right? It's not wrong to go to the bar. 
But our problem is whenever we go to the bar, or maybe for a lot of you, it's the half the time you go to the bar, what you end up doing is you end up crossing the line and you end up getting drunk, right? Something that the Bible tells us not to do, and it messes up your life. I mean, we got a lot of people in here that that has messed up their life. And so what we end up doing is we cross the line. Or maybe for you, it's your, your girlfriend or boyfriend. You guys hang out all the time. And is it wrong to hang out with your girlfriend or boyfriend? Of course it's not, all right? And so what we end up doing is we end up getting as close to the line as possible, all right? But then what it turns out is like whenever we hang out with our girlfriend or boyfriend, we end up crossing that line. Or maybe for you, your problem is shopping, and it's like you just shop, 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 all right, that's like your thing. You get online, you have to go to Amazon, like immediately you have your Amazon list, you like check them, you know, you're going through, seeing if there's any deals. And what you end up doing whenever you get on Amazon or whatever it might be is you end up just spending, 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 and your spouse hates it, okay, and you end up crossing that line, meaning you end up doing the thing that God doesn't want for your life. You go into debt, you do this, you do that, you have all these things that you buy. You're, you're not using God's gift that he's given to you, financial ability. You're not using that well, all right? Or maybe for you, it's, it's your computer or it's your device or it's your phone or whatever it might be. And, uh, and is it wrong to have a phone? No, okay? Is it wrong to have a computer? Of course not, all right? That's not wrong. Um, but what we end up doing is maybe late at night, we're looking through our phone and we're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Some of us, our problem is we just spend so much time scrolling through our phone. It's like, dude, live your life, right? Like go out and do something instead of just looking at what other people have done, right? And so that's our problem. Or some of us, it's, it's you know, you're, you're on your computer late at night and what, what you end up doing is you end up looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at, and some pornography or whatever it might be, and you end up crossing the line. See, our problem is, is that we get as close as possible to the line, and it's like we expect to not be tempted, but that's exactly what happens. We are tempted, and we have an enemy who's trying to get us to cross the line. And one thing that I've noticed in my life is that, um, is that it's so much easier if you pre-decide, all right? When it comes to a certain area in your life, maybe you're struggling in, maybe you're, you're failing to temptation, you're falling to temptation, somewhere where the enemy kind of has a hold in your life, all right? One of the things that I've noticed in my life is if I just pre-decide that I'm not gonna do that thing, or if I just pre-decide, hey, I'm not even gonna get close, it is so much easier. So what you can actually do is you can actually... Move the line, all right, which is awesome, all right? So instead of, let's say, getting close to the line, we're like, I don't want to get close to the line. I'm going to stay over here. If you got a problem with getting close to the line, which we all do, all right, instead of standing over here and being like, well, I'm not sitting, so I'm pretty, you know, I'm, not, I'm still kind of in the right, but if I just don't cross over, but the problem is every time you get close to the line, you end up crossing over, all right? What you could do is you can move the line, and if you're over here, then, and you have the, the temptation of getting close to the line, then you don't have a, you don't, you won't struggle with, it'll be a lot harder for you to cross the real line. You get what I'm saying? I mean, something like this. Like, if the issue is the bar, don't go to the bar, right? It's not wrong to go to the bar, but if every time or half the time you go to the bar, you're getting drunk, then don't go to the bar. Or if the issue is, you know, you're, you're, Whenever you're with your girlfriend or a boyfriend, or maybe it's just your friend, you got friends with benefits, whatever, I don't know what you got going on, all right, what kind of deal you got, you got set up, all right, um, but if that's the problem, if you keep hanging out with that person and you guys keep doing things that you know you should not be doing, then maybe you need to break up with that person, or maybe you need to hang out with that person, but only when other people are around, you get what I'm saying? You move the line, or maybe for you it's spending, 
okay? Spend, 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 spend. Maybe for you, you just have to quit spending and you just can't when you're looking online. Maybe you don't go online. Maybe you, maybe you log out of your Amazon or you get, put in a different password. You give that to somebody else. Or, all right, maybe you cut up your credit card. <gasps> you know? You can't spend if you don't got that, right? Or maybe you do something like that where you move the line. Or maybe for you, it's your computer. If it's your computer, maybe you just get rid of it. Maybe you don't need it, all right? If you do need it, then maybe it's something where you give your phone or you give your computer to your spouse or somebody else that they have it after 9 o'clock at night. And so you won't be tempted, all right, to, to look at things that you shouldn't be looking at on your computer. Get what I'm saying? All right? You can be strategic and guess what? Creative. And you can move the line so that you aren't tempted. And that is pre-deciding that you're not going to do that thing. And I know some of us, we feel like when we think about temptation, we think about this stuff, um, we naturally, it's what we naturally do, is we feel like, man, that's so restrictive. I don't know. That's so limiting. But that's what the enemy wants you to think. In reality, it's, it's freeing. See, the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Luke. Um, Luke was a Greek doctor, and he wanted to know the details about Jesus' life. And he wanted to know the details about Jesus' life from the people who actually got to experience Jesus, from the people who actually got to hear the things that Jesus had to say, and from the people who actually got to see the things that Jesus did. And so what Luke does, and it's so interesting, is he documents the story of Jesus' birth, which we've talked about, all right? And then he documents the story of a man named John. He's got a nickname, this guy named John. His nickname is John the Baptist. And, um, and we talked about that last week. Now, if you remember kind of where we picked off or where we left off last week, you got this guy named John. He's a super weird guy. He's doing his thing. And, um, and he's out in, like, in the middle of nowhere just like yelling at people. And everybody is wondering if he might be the Messiah. Now, the Messiah was a was just an old word for the word for Savior, right? And the Messiah was a person that the Jewish people have been waiting for at this point in history for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of years. They've been waiting for this, for this person, this person who's going to come save them. And we see all throughout the Old Testament that God's pointing, he's pointing, he's pointing, he's saying, someday I'm going to fix your sin problem, someday I'm going to fix it, I'm going to take care of it. All right, the Messiah's coming, the Savior, he's going to save you. They didn't exactly understand exactly how he was going to do that, but they knew that this person was coming. And so here's John. He's out there doing a bunch of stuff. He's wearing weird stuff. He's eating weird stuff. He's saying weird stuff. And everybody's like, I don't know, he seems to know a lot about God. This guy, could he be the Messiah, he's very Messiah-like. And then John tells them all, he's like, hey man, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy that you're looking for. You think I'm a big deal? I am nothing compared to the actual Messiah. Remember, he even says, he said, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes for him. Like, I'm not, I'm not worthy to do that. And then Jesus shows up. And what's crazy is, is we, what they record for us is that John... He looks up one day, and Jesus, you know, there's just crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds of people, and Jesus walks in, walks up, and John points at him and just says, look, that's the guy. That's the guy that we're waiting for. He's the Savior. He's the, come, he's the one that's come to save us, and Jesus goes, and he actually gets baptized by John. Now, after Jesus gets baptized, what we see in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, then Jesus left the Jordan. Remember, the Jordan is just the river. It's like the only river in Israel. It runs north and south, still there to today. Um, it says, then Jesus left the Jordan. He says, full of the Holy Spirit. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So out in the middle of nowhere. Now, he was there for 40 days to be tempted. 
Now think about it, all right? This should be super weird to us. Um, Jesus, he just experienced maybe the high point of his like earthly life here, okay? He just got baptized by John. There's crowds everywhere. Other, um, before this, he was kind of unknown. Um, he, he wasn't doing, he was, you know, he's probably doing his like carpentry work, like that type of thing, what he had grown up doing. And, um, and so now he gets baptized and things are going awesome. I mean, think about it. You got the, like the Trinity shows up. You got God the Father. He's like yelling down from heaven. He's like, man, I'm so pleased with, with Jesus. And then you got the Spirit coming down and kind of landing on him. And everybody can see it. It's crazy. And everybody is kind of in awe of what's going on. And nobody knows exactly who Jesus is, but they're all amazed by what they see. And Mark tells us in his account of Jesus's life, Mark says that immediately Jesus heads out to the wild. Think about it, so backwards. Right, what we'd expect from Jesus is for him to like, I don't know, he's got a bunch of crowds there, like a bunch of people. They're all like, dude, who, are, who, who is this guy? This guy's something special. You'd think he would like start teaching them. We see that all throughout the next three years. That's what he does over and over and over again. Or maybe he'd like march into Jerusalem. Jerusalem's about a day's walk away. It's about 30 miles. He could have gone in Jerusalem, done his thing. That's where all the, that's where a bunch of people were. Or maybe he could have, maybe, you know, we'd expect him to like start picking out his disciples like you, not you, you, you know, like that type of thing. He starts gathering them all together. Instead, what he does, think about it, is he goes out into the middle of nowhere by himself where he's going to meet up with Satan, right, with the devil. He's going to meet up with him. And Satan is going to throw everything he's got at Jesus. Okay, let's back up one more, one real quick. All right, uh, it says, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. All right, then, and I bet he was. Like, I can't go five hours without food. All right, Jesus is going 40 days. All right, this dude is, Jesus is, he's the man. All right, it says, then the devil. I really, really, really like how Matthew puts this. Matthew, he writes an account of Jesus' life. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. All right? He says, after, all right, key word there, after Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, we all understand that. He, of course he would be. He says, then the tempter approached him. All right? See, do you ever find out, or do you ever realize, or do you ever think about, like, like um, isn't it how it is, like, whenever we're, like, the physically the weakest, like that's, it seems like when we struggle with temptation the most. You ever find yourself thinking about that? Or maybe it's like emotionally weakest or, or whatever it might be. Like here's Jesus. He's been out in the desert for over a month at this point. Okay. He's got no friends. He's got no family. He's got no one to talk to except for God. Right? He's got nothing to do except for pray. Uh, he's got no shelter. He's got no bed. He's got no AirPods, no Netflix, no podcast, no Facebook, no, nothing to pass the time. He's not even got food. Right? And when Jesus is physically at his weakest, I mean, he is literally starving at this point. That is when Satan shows up. Just like what Satan does really in our life. Right? And, and, and by the way, the enemy does that right? because God tells us that we have an enemy who's always looking to take us down. Like That's what our enemy is trying to do. The enemy knows you. Right? The enemy studied you. The enemy has watched the film on you. The enemy knows where you're weak. The enemy knows when you're vulnerable. The enemy knows your desires. And the enemy tempts you to do wrong. And here, here's the deal. If you are a Christian, I mean, you know that because you have felt that. See, we have an enemy who influences, who wants to influence your decisions. 
Now, sir, you know, when we think of the enemy, obviously, like in this, um, we automatically think of like Satan. We're like, oh man, Satan, he's really getting me today. You know, he's like, he's really trying to work on me. But in reality, um, it's probably not Satan messing with you, okay? All right, it, like, I don't think Satan's in Tiffin, Ohio. Like, I'm just saying. Like, I don't think we got, uh, we're cool and all, but like, I don't think we got that much going on um, on the world stage. I don't, you know, I'm just probably not super interested in what we got going on here in Tiffin, Ohio. Like, if Satan wanted to mess with you or me, all right, it, specifically, let's just say me, all right, I'm guessing that he's going to send some, like, loser demon to come screw me up. You get what I'm saying? Like, I don't think he needs, he doesn't need to, all right? He could send something, somebody much lesser to trip me up. See, do you understand, like, we think of, like, Satan as, like, the enemy, but you know who also is a part of the enemy? This is, James tells us this. James says, it's you. It's you. Your thoughts, your feelings. Your desires. See, the Bible describes this as our sin nature. All right, it's this thing that's just kind of within us. We are prone to make the wrong decisions. Now, Jesus, he doesn't have a sin nature here, all right? Jesus is perfect. He's got it going on. All right, he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And so Satan goes to take him down, and he waits until Jesus is physically um, completely weak, and that's the time where, where Satan decides, hey, this is time. This is time for me to strike. And so my guess is, I don't know this. The Bible doesn't say this, but I'm guessing Satan showed up. He's like eating a sandwich or something, you know? Like, that's what I would do, probably BLT, something really good like that. He's just like, mm, this is so good, Jesus, all right? Too bad there's no food out here. And he looks at Jesus, and he says something like this. He says, the devil said to him, hey, if you are the son of God, like, I'm, Jesus, I know, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're God, but I'm not quite sure. So let me just say this, like, if you really are God, he says, why don't you just tell the stone to become bread? Do whatever you want. Well, like, why are you starving yourself? I don't get what's going on here. What, what are you doing? And, 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 he, and he tempts him in that way. And so Satan, what he wants Jesus to do is to use his power for self-gratification. Right? He wants Jesus to fill his own wants and his own desires outside of God's will. Now, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that all temptation in like, my life, uh, personally, like, is always an invitation to embrace self-interest. Have you noticed that? Like, it's always a self-serving thing. Like, whenever I'm tempted to do something wrong, it's like, I don't know, 100% of the time, like, it's always about me. You get what I'm saying? Right? And, like, I'm not tempted, like, when I'm, you know, I'm not tempted to be really, 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 really nice to Kate when I'm super tired and I'm stressed out. Right? Like, it just, it doesn't happen that way. Like, I don't, you know, I come home from work and it's been a rough day and I got this going on, I got these problems, all these problems going on all over the place that I just can't seem to put out. Right? Like, I don't come home from work and I'm like, hey, my little pookie, smoopy, cutie, patootie, you know, honey, bunny, McDreamy, you know, hot mama. Like, I don't, I don't do that. Who's the apple of my eye? And then I go do the dishes or something. Like, like, I can tell you, I've never been tempted in that way. All right, not once. By the way, AJ uses one of those words to talk to Marissa. I won't point out which one. But um, I've never been tempted to use any of those things, even on the good days. Instead, what I'm tempted to do is I'm tempted to be a jerk. And I'm actually really good at it, you know? Like, that's what I'm tempted to do. I'm tempted to embrace my self-interest. That's what Satan is doing here. All right? Check out how Jesus responds. He says, Jesus answered him. He says, hey, it is written. By the way, where is it written at? Where is it written? Yeah, the Bible. Right? God's words, God's truth. 
right? He uses God's truth to push back against Satan's temptation. So if we think about his line here, right, here's Satan. He's like, why don't you come close to the line? And maybe Jesus is close to the line because he's super hungry or whatever it might be, all right, which we're going to be looking at. But instead of crossing over what Jesus says, he's like, he's pre-decided. He is not going to do any of these things. And he goes, you know what? You know what? He uses truth, God's truth, to push him back. He uses truth to, to distance himself between him and the line. He says, it is written, man must live or man must not live on bread alone. See, notice what Jesus does here. Satan tempts Jesus to make bread. Is that a wrong thing? No. All right? Some of you guys are all about, like, sourdough stuff. You know, I know some of you guys, I hear this stuff, and I don't know what that is exactly, but I know you got to, like, feed it. Kate told me that, like, two weeks ago. I'm like, what does that mean? All right, I don't want nothing. I'm not eating anything that you got to feed. You get what I'm saying? Like, unless it's dead. All right? Is it wrong? No. All right, not in and of itself, but Jesus is thinking deeper than the way we think. Jesus knows that if he turns this rock, this you know, little rock into, into bread to eat, what he's actually doing in that moment is he's taking his circumstances into his own hands. He's not relying on God. And what Jesus does here is he quotes a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 8 where God um, is basically saying, hey, life is more than just meeting daily physical needs. Right? Life is more than just about food and water and all the things that we think we need. In fact, in Deuteronomy, what God is doing here is he's reminding the Jewish people. He's saying, hey, don't worry about food. I got you. I'm going to take care of you. You just focus on me. See, here Jesus uses God's words to remind himself and Satan that God's going to take care of him. And he just needs to stay focused on the Father. Strike one for Satan, but he ain't about to give up, okay? That's what he says next. He says, so Satan took him, and he took him up, and we find out in, I think it's Matthew, that they actually climb a mountain here, and uh, a nearby mountain, and they showed him all the kingdoms of the world, like in a moment at a time. So he, they're standing on top of this mountain, he's kind of looking out, and he says, you see this whole world? You know, you see way off in the distance? He says, the devil said to him, he says, I will give you their splendor and all this authority, because it has been given over to me, right? Remember, who's the ruler of this world? Yeah, sure, ultimately it's God. Like, we understand that. But for this period of time, right, all right, Satan is like the king of this world, all right? Satan is ruling. He is wreaking havoc on this world. I mean, later we see that Jesus describes Satan. He describes Satan as the ruler of the world, all right? So Satan rules. It's not a forever thing, but it is for a time. And so Satan, all right, knowing that this is all his, at least at this moment in time, he makes Jesus an offer, right? He says, I can give this to anybody I want, all right? Anybody I want. He says, if you then, Jesus, if you are God, all right, if you would just worship me, it's all yours, all right? It's all yours. I got you. Now, for a lot of us, there's just something that kind of grinds us. We're like, you know, um, here's Jesus being tempted. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem wrong. Remember, temptation is not sin, all right, crossing over the line. That's where sin comes into play. But I think this is a real temptation for Jesus. I think it is. See, isn't this what Jesus wants? To be ruler of all? I mean, ultimately, isn't that why Jesus came? All right, isn't this what he deserves? Isn't this Jesus' right? Isn't this why he created the world in the first place? I mean, see, here's Satan. He's showing Jesus the kingdoms of the world. And it's not really about the authority or the popularity that would come with all that from, come from being king. All right, that's not what, what I think Jesus' eyes as valuable. You know what's valuable to Jesus? It's the people in the world. 
Every individual that Jesus knows, and he knows them by name, and he loves them, and he cares for them, and he, know, he, he wants them so much, he desires a relationship with every single person out there. And here's Satan doing, he's offering them all to him. He's saying, you can have them all. He's saying, you can have it. I will freely give this world to you. They can be yours. You can be theirs. Right? They will worship you. You can do whatever you want. You can rule over them. All you got to do is just one little tiny second of worshiping me. What's the big deal anyway, right? They're out in the middle of nowhere. No one's going to know. I think of all the good that would come from Jesus doing just one second of worship. All right? Not that he has to get on his knees or anything. He just has to say something, okay? That's all he has to do. See, for us, a lot of us, I mean, we're sitting here, we're like, well, I don't even understand like, what Satan's doing here because think about it. Like, like if Jesus is God, like, doesn't he already own everything? And yeah, that's the thing. God does own everything, but in his humanity, Jesus owned nothing. All right, nothing. I mean, he didn't have a dad who was like a priest, like John. All right, his dad was super poor. His parents were super poor. All right, he had to borrow an animal for, from someone to ride into town once. All right, Jesus, he had to borrow a coin to teach a lesson once. I mean, he's got nothing, and Satan knows it. And the world, I mean, it's Jesus' right to rule this world, and, and his, it's his right to have a relationship with his creation because he is the creator, and he could have it all right now. Now, think about it. Not only is the offer appealing because it meets Jesus' desire, right, to rule and to have a relationship with everybody in the world, but think about it. It also bypasses the pain and suffering that Jesus knew he had to go through to save us. It bypasses all that. I mean, here's Satan. He's just like, hey, you see all those people that you love? Man, I'll just give them to you. Jesus, do you know the path that you're on? Like, I'm just asking. Like, like are you sure? All right, you know what's going to happen to you, don't you? Like, I'm just telling you, like, the path that you're on, Jesus, is, like, horrible, okay? Like, it's bad. Like, I'm going to make it hurt, okay? Die on a cross, all right? This is going to be a rough way to go, maybe the worst way to possibly go. And here's Satan. He's like, I'm offering you a solution. I'm offering you a shortcut. You take it now. It's, it's all right. It's okay. See, it's the same thing the enemy whispers into your ears and mine. See, the enemy has a way of convincing us that our desires is just the way that we are. All right, that our desires are just who we are, but that is all a lie. In fact, our desires are not who you are. Like if you at some point in your life, which isn't everybody in this room, if you have given your life over to Jesus, you have made that decision, just like those kids at Kalahari last week, if you've made that decision at some point in your life and you can remember kind of when that was, all right, then the Bible tells us, God tells us that we are actually a son and daughter of God. Like he has adopted us into his family. And so just because you have a desire, that doesn't mean that's who you are destined to be or that's what you are destined to be. That, this doesn't mean that. Our hearts are constantly lying to us. See, the reality is, right, we might fight with that desire for 40 days or maybe for you it's like 40 years or maybe it's your whole life. But the way to fight it is by predeciding not to get close and predeciding to do life God's way. So that's what Jesus does here. This is how he answers he says, it's written. By the way, where is it written at? In the Bible. In God's words. It's God's truth. He says, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. By the way, Satan, that excludes you. Okay? He's saying, hey, haven't you read the Bible? All right, it's written. I, I cannot do that. By the way, can I just point out real quick, how are you going to be able to use the Bible? This is, this is how Jesus fights back against this. How are you going to be able to fight like Jesus fought if you don't even know what the Bible says? Take a guess, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Like, how are you going to know what's temptation or not? You see how important it is for you to know 
God's words. Right? That's how we decide. That's how we know what's right and what's wrong. You got to know it. And so here's strike two for Satan. Then it says Satan took him to Jerusalem. Now, when I was a kid, this is just kind of how I thought. Maybe it was the same for you. Like when I hear this, it's like Satan's like taking him places. You know, for me, it was just like, um, you know, he's like beaming up or whatever. Like how is he doing? Like just disappears and he shows up someplace. I don't think so. I don't think that's what he did. Maybe it was, you know, I don't know exactly what Satan could do. Um, but, uh, but my guess is that they walked to Jerusalem. Again, this is probably like a day's walk, which is kind of interesting to think about that Jesus and Satan spent time together, okay? And they did. And so uh, Satan, he has Jesus stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Again, as a kid, I have, I have this like, picture in my mind. It's like, it's like Jesus is kind of balancing on top of the, you know, the spire of, of the temple. I don't think that's how it was. In fact, most scholars or a lot of scholars would say that, um, that pinnacle just means like a, a high point right, on the temple mount. Remember, the entire temple mount, which is still there today, is on top of a, on top of a mountain, even more so back then. And so um, here, the temple complex is on top of the mountain in the southeast corner. Um, there's this like porch that kind of looked over a 450 foot cliff. And so they probably walked through Jerusalem. They probably walked up to the temple mount. They probably walked up to this porch. And on top of that, they're looking down of this 450 foot cliff um, at the Kidron Valley below. In fact, Josephus, which was a Roman historian, we've talked about him before, uh, he actually points to this. He actually talks about this within Luke's lifetime here and when he writes stuff. And he's saying that people would get dizzy as they would look over the edge because it was so far below. People like freak people out. And so here's Satan and Jesus like standing up there. They're looking down and they're looking down 450 feet. And, Jesus, or, and Satan says to him, he says, hey, if you are God, all right, if you're the son of God, Throw yourself down from here. Why don't you just like throw yourself down? And we're like, why? Why would anybody do that? He says, for it's written. You know, here's Satan. He's using the Bible as well. By the way, where's it written at? The Bible. God's words. God's truth. Satan knows it too. And Satan fights fire with fire. And what he does here is he says, uh, by the way, so if you're using all these, you know, using all this Bible against me, Jesus, he says, well, you also know that it's written. He, meaning God, will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you. Right? And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. See, Satan misquotes Psalm 91. And he's almost like he's thinking that Jesus won't catch it. And he's presenting Jesus with a marketing strategy in a sense. Right? Here's Satan. He's like, hey, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. Nobody knows you. Right? Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows um, of you. I got some ideas. All right? Let me just, hey, Jesus, like, let me be your PR guy. It'll be cool. All right? Let people, um, if you just threw yourself off here, and there's, and there's always people at the temple. All right? That's just day in and day out. There's people all over the place. He said, if you just, like, let people below watch an angel rescue you, like, you just jump off this, an angel, like, swoops in and rescues you because that's what God's going to do. He says, then they will believe. He's like, why don't you just force God's hand or God the Father's hand to save you, and then everybody will believe. It's a pretty good marketing strategy is what Satan is saying, right? But then Jesus answered him. He's like, no. <laughs> it said, do not test the Lord your God. We're not supposed to force God's hand in that sense. And so here we go. We got strike three for Satan. And then in verse 13, it says, after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time, meaning Satan was not done with Jesus. See, what's Satan's deal trying to get Jesus to sin like this? 
Think about it. If Satan can get Jesus to sin one time for one second, man, it's over. I mean, Jesus' whole mission, it's over. Like the only way Jesus was able to pay for your sin and for my sin is because he was a perfect substitute, because Jesus was sinless. See, when we make our decision to give our life to Jesus, what we're actually doing is we're looking towards him, all right, that what he did on that cross 2,000 years ago was enough to somehow count for me. That's what we're doing. It paid everything I did wrong because we realize that we cannot pay for all of our wrong. And what we end up doing, the Bible tells us, is we like take on his righteousness. So think about it. This is so cool, right? So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our nasty black sin, our nasty black hearts. What he sees is he sees Jesus's righteousness on us. So think about it. If Jesus sins here, there's no payment for for our sins. There's no forgiveness. There's no hope. It's a big deal. But he won. And he paid. And because of that, we have the privilege to have a relationship with our creator. And as we go through life making decisions, which we, there's just decisions all over the place. There's just constant decision after decision after decision. We have the ability to resist temptation like Jesus. You know why? Because 2,000 years ago, a 30-year-old man named Jesus, who claimed to be God, walked out in the middle of nowhere for over a month. He was physically weak. He was starving. And he was tempted by the devil himself. And all of humanity rested on his shoulders. And guess what? He won. He resisted. He predecided that he wasn't going to do that. And we can beat temptation in our life because of him. And we can have hope. Let's pray together real quick. God, we thank you for these words. It's something we need to hear. It's something we need to think about. It. God, temptation is real. Temptation, man, it takes us all down. <laughs> like we're all equal footing here. It messes us all up. And God, we ask that we would rely on you. Ask us not to get close to the line. We ask that you would help us not to get close to the line. Help us to pre-decide to do life your way. And God, we thank you for that. And we thank you for giving us the ability to be free in that way. And God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, we will see you guys back here next week. Stay warm out there and uh, have a good week.